Hey, I think most of you know me, but I'm Kevin, and uh, Matt just asked me to preach this morning uh, because, as you've already heard, he's out of town. And so, uh, as always, I just want to say I don't have any authority to do that other than Matt asking me, but God's Word does, and I'm excited to be here with you on that this morning and hear what he will speak to us together. So we are a close-knit church family. Everybody pretty much knows each other, loves each other. So I'm going to ask us to get just a little bit vulnerable. I'm not going to ask you to, like, say anything, but I am going to ask for a raise of hands on some yes or no questions. You don't have to explain why, what you mean by it, but just yes or no. Is there anyone who feels a little bit weary right now in life and could use their soul revived? Laura's laughing, and she's like, who would not feel that way, right? (laughs) Um, Is there anyone who needs wisdom from God right now? Is there anyone who is struggling with a lack of joy and needs some genuine deep joy? Almost everybody raised their hand to almost every question. And I will tell you this, we are going to be talking about Psalm 19 this morning, and it is all about how God reveals himself. But I want us to come to this knowing that God is good, that he loves us, that he's for us. He did not give us the Bible as trivia to be memorized or as a list of to-do rules, things we're constantly not living up to. He did it because he loves us. He wants to meet us here. He wants deep transformation in our hearts the exact kind that we all just said we need desperately. Okay, anyone know off the top of your head the creed we say here at Exodus? What is our core statement of faith? Yeah. Yes, let's, let's do this. We trust Jesus and we trust the Bible. You guys say this together with me. We trust Jesus, we trust the Bible. And I had actually planned this before Matt talked about Jesus last week, but I thought it was so perfect. He talked about Jesus, and now we're talking about the Bible. So it's a little uh, mini-series on our statement of faith. Here's the thing, you guys. We have a radically different life available to us. Every single person, I think, wants change in our life. And usually we look to our circumstances, but if we're honest, we know that there's something inside us that needs to change too. And this morning, my... Uh, just my big picture, what I really want to get across is that that radically different life, the thing we most deeply want, is available to us. It is ours, and all we have to do is open the Bible and, with God's help, respond to what we read. Okay, now listen. Everybody knows that we are, quote-unquote, supposed to read our Bibles, at least if you've come to church any number of times in your life. I bet you have felt discouraged maybe even a little embarrassed at times with that. My prayer for us today is uh, that we would walk away thinking not, oh yeah, I really should read my Bible more, but wow, I get to read my Bible. What a privilege. What an amazing ability to come and meet with the living God. I get to read my Bible because God loves me and has spoken to me and he wants to help me understand it and trust it and obey it. And then to have some practical tips for engaging with it. Now, there are at least two groups of people here this morning who I'm going to make an especially big plea that you would stick with me on this this morning. One, there are probably some people here this morning who are like, yeah, yeah, I know all about studying the Bible, and, and I'm tempted to just uh, check out here because I've checked this box off. And some of you are probably like, 
yeah, I know I'm supposed to be doing that. Okay, come on, Kevin, I, I get it. I'm, I'm just, I'm not living up to it. It's hard, I'm busy, I don't have time. And you're tempted to either say, I've done enough, or I've done all I realistically can do, and I feel guilty about not doing more. But what I'm going to ask you to come to this morning is not to think about this as something you need to do better, but as an opportunity to encounter the living God and hear his voice. The other group of people I'm going to ask to stay with me this morning is people who feel overwhelmed by reading the Bible. People who open it up and are like, I I don't know what I'm reading. What is going on here? All these other people, they seem to know so much more than me. And it can feel defeating. It can even feel a little bit embarrassing sometimes. I want you to hear me loud and clear. God is not your junior high English teacher. I mean, I know you know that, but you got to know that. God is not not grading you on a test. He speaks to you because he loves you. And he gave us this because he's kind and patient and tender towards us. And my hope and prayer this morning is that this is going to be really empowering to us. Last thing I want to say before we dive into the, the part of the Bible we're reading this morning is that, listen, I have been here, I have lived this, I'm living proof that, one, you can struggle with reading the Bible and never arrive at a perfect understanding or perfect obedience, but also that God can help. A lot, like really help. I have no idea how many days in my life I have ignored the Bible because I'm too busy with other things. I do know that the day I was writing literally this sentence, I was in the middle of typing out this sentence, and I was like, okay, wait a minute, I'm preaching about the Bible, and I totally haven't read the Bible at at all yet today because I feel too busy. And I know that even when I read it, there have been countless times that I'm not really sure what it means or not really sure how I would obey it and apply it. And then there are countless times when I've known exactly what I should do based on what I just read, and I just don't anyway. So I'm there, and yet God has helped me countless times too. Other people have explained sections of it to me. I've used resources. People have helped hold me accountable to obey what I read. People have challenged me in loving ways, even if I didn't want to hear it at the time. And most of all, God has done a work in my heart. And he can do that for every single person, and he wants to do that for every single one of us here today. So we're going to be in Psalm 19 this morning, but first let's just pray uh, and ask God to open our hearts to what he would want to speak to us. God, I thank you so much for this treasure of your word that you have spoken to us, that you have shown us what is true about yourself what is true about this world, and what is true about us personally. But it's not just information. But it is part of this beautiful relationship that we have with you through your Son, Jesus Christ. And God, you have written down certain things that are just there for all of us, and yet the ways that these are going to impact and change our lives probably differ uh, for each one of us here this morning the needs that we have, the the challenges, the sin issues, the the need for wisdom and the choices confronting us, all these things, uh, you love us personally and tenderly in, and I pray that you would open our hearts to see what you have to say to each of us specifically this morning. And I pray you'd give us hearts to obey what we hear. But I thank you that even when we don't understand, even when we refuse to hear, even when we don't obey, you love us. 
And when we are faithless, you remain faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we are in Psalm chapter 19. Every verse you need will be on the screen, but I'd encourage you to open your Bibles. I brought a hard copy Bible this morning because I thought, hey, I'm talking about the Bible. Should I have a Bible? It's probably good, right? Uh, now listen, Psalm 19 is this psalm that moves kind of steadily in one direction, and that, that direction where it's going is this radically different life. Not, not the outward circumstances, but the inward heart. And yet to get there, it starts with what everyone can know about God, and then it tells us how to get to that good life. So it kind of, here's where we are now. We can all know certain things about God. Here's where we're going, and it's going to tell us the middle part. And in a lot of ways, that's where I'm going to camp out on. By the way, I said all the verses are going to be on the screen. Shout out to John back there on the slides and everybody else who serves that way and Paul and Stephanie on the soundboard. And tech people make a big difference for us in a church family, don't they? They don't often get a shout out. The people up front tend to get, uh, get some, hey, good job. Those guys back there are heroes. Thank you, guys. All right, here we are, Psalm 19. For the choir director, a psalm of David, because God's people have been singing this for about 3,000 years. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth. And there were words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end. Nothing can hide from its heat. Now, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on these six verses in this specific context, but the main point is that God tells everyone about himself through creation. Now, what's important to understand, it is not saying that this is enough uh, for us to understand who Jesus Christ is, for us to obey God, for us to uh, have saving faith. What it is saying is that it is enough for everyone to know that there's a creator, God, and then there is some baseline of what is right and wrong in this world. Every culture, even those that have never heard of Jesus Christ or known any bit of the Bible, have this sense that there's someone or something out there that created us and have a sense we know right and wrong, right? It's wrong to murder. Every culture knows that. So it's a little like this. Imagine you're sick, but you don't know it. Sometimes you hear something like this. People, like a lot recently, you'll hear people are sensitive to gluten, for example, and they don't even know what's wrong with them. They just know they don't feel well. But yet, keep having some symptoms, and as we all do sometimes, you keep writing them off as aging. And then your spouse or a close friend says, hey, I think you might actually have something else going on here besides just that recent milestone birthday. I think you're sick. I had the same thing, and here's my doctor's name, and you know what? She really helped. That is helpful information because it alerts you to two things, the fact that you need help and that help is available. But it's not the same as the actual cure. To do that, to get the cure, you need to go to the doctor personally, right? God chose himself into nature, and that is a way to point us to there is something better out there. This life is not all that it's supposed to be. But to get the life that God uh, has for us, we need a personal relationship. time, once you have that personal relationship with the living God, you think about that. You're out on a clear and starry night. 
You're out on the country away from the streetlights. You see a huge number of stars. That is a very vivid picture of God's power. And as you've filled your mind with the Bible, maybe you start to think, wow, that is, those are the exact same stars that Abraham went and looked at 4,000 years ago. And God has been faithful to his promises. Just for example, like I said, not spending a lot of time on these few verses, but here's what I think we take away from this. Worship God as you see him in creation. When you go out and look what you made, we need to, at least metaphorically in our hearts, get flat on our faces and say, wow, God. But it's always got to be as a supplement for what you learn about him in the Bible, not a substitute. I take vitamin D and B12 because the doctor suggested that based on what I eat. That's a supplement, but I can't have that instead of a meal, right? You never see me on like a, a Thursday and be like, well, what'd you have today, Kevin? And I had eh, some D and B12. I like pizza better. But when our minds and hearts are formed by the words of the Bible, then we look to our creation, or uh, look to creation, and we can remember our Creator truly and beautifully. But thankfully, He has spoken to us even more clearly, directly, personally, and that is the Bible. And He loves us, and He has spoken to us through these things that He used humans to write down anywhere from two to 4,000 years ago, depending on uh, what it is. And that brings us to verses 7 through 11 that we're going to read next. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true, each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. We're going to break this down a little bit into what each of those things mean. But first of all, just notice it's like, wow, that's really valuable. That's really good. It's not just like, oh, yeah, I really should do that thing. These are big deals. If the things the Bible says about itself here are true, then this is really good for us. Having said that, I'm going to break down just about a half verse at a time, kind of focusing on where it says, like, the instructions of the Lord, the decrees of the Lord, all that. So we'll start with verse, uh, first half of verse 7. It says, the instructions of the Lord. And I love that this translation uses the word instructions. That's the best. Some of you might be sitting there with one that says the law, and which is, makes sense why they translated it that way, but it's easy to misinterpret. The instructions here uh, refer to the word Torah, which is what um, observant Jewish people typically call the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And that's really instructive because, yes, that includes God's, God's laws for Israel, like celebrate this feast or make this sacrifice, but it also includes all kinds of other things, a very personal God talking with Abraham or Moses. It includes promises, covenants, stories of people acting in faith and in failure. It includes songs of worship and so much more. So this instruction idea is God showing us what's good. I need instructions when I'm in the kitchen. I cannot cook. One of Julie's in my uh, early dates, I made her tacos, and I forgot taco seasoning. 
which is about my cooking energy. But if you give me a recipe and I follow it carefully, I can at least put something edible on the table. You ever felt like life is a little bit like tacos without seasoning? When we try to figure out God's best for ourselves, just go it alone, or when we're just kind of putting our finger in the air and what's the wind of the current mood of culture, tacos without seasoning is, that's maybe kind of our best case scenario. When we look at what God has told us about his will in the Bible, and then we put it into practice with love and faith, not just kind of forcing ourselves to obey it, It is a recipe for what God calls here reviving the soul. And almost all you said, you need your soul revived right now. The decrees of the Lord are the next uh, kind of bullet point there. And it means reminders. My kids know to cross the street without looking, but I still remind them because I love them. My kids also know that I love them, but I remind them of that a lot too. Right, Isaac? Did I tell you I love you a lot? Got like a little half smile. That's what it means that God makes wise the simple. He warns us not to run across the street, and He reminds us He loves us, and that's why He's doing that. The commandments of the Lord bring joy to the heart. I mean, if there's one thing we probably would all say we desperately need, that's it right there like real joy but it can feel a little hard to believe we would truly get that. Okay, I want you to think about it. So I was at that game, the the, uh, Caitlin Clark game here at Assembly Hall the other night, and there was a lot of joy in that stadium, especially because I used win-in and, like, key moments in the game. Iowa would start to creep up a little bit more, and then uh, they'd make a three-pointer or something. IU would, and everybody would be going nuts. But imagine they were to win, the Hoosiers were to win the NCAA basketball championship. What would this city be like? I mean, people would be going nuts, right? And you think about the team itself. You ever seen a team celebrate a championship? And there's just this huge, sheer joy, beaming smiles. They're pouring all kinds of beverages on each other. There's, sometimes if it's like a men's team, you see these huge, muscular, tough men just sobbing and embracing and, and falling on their faces. It's joy. But to get there, they can't just do whatever they want. They can't just, like, settle for what makes them happy for five seconds. They have to accept commandments in the weight room. Don't lift it like that. You're going to hurt your back. They have to accept commandments about what they eat. Yeah, you need a little more protein. They have to accept commandments about who passes, who shoots, and when. God's good. He's for you. He does not make arbitrary rules for no reason. He gives commandments to bring joy to our hearts. And we're going to have a whole lot more joy one day with him than we ever could with any IU championship. Then similarly, you got the commandments of the Lord, the commands of the Lord. Very similar word meaning. The focus is the flip side. It leads us towards the good and it protects us from making mistakes. Maybe the best way of thinking about these, the commands of the Lord, is that knowing and obeying God's commands is a little bit like getting LASIK eye surgery. You know what I'm talking about, where people wear glasses for like their whole life and then they get laser eye surgery and the next morning they wake up and they're like, 
whoa, I can see, this is weird. I, I love hearing about people that uh, get that. They seem to have a lot of joy in it. But imagine you have like a really serious case. Your eyes are just really bad to the point where you're bumping into things all the time. And then you get your eyes cleared up and all of a sudden you're safe. God's commandments are a little bit like that. That's when it says giving insight for living. What it really says in the original is to make life clear, basically. Then it moves on to reverence for the Lord, also known as the fear of the Lord. And the point here is you can't just have information and you can't just go through the right actions. There has to be a heart posture, a deep reverence. It's like respect times a billion. I have really good parents. And if you had good parents like me, you might have a glimpse of what this is supposed to look like. Good parents are an echo of what God is like as a father. But if you didn't have good parents, then by what you are acutely aware of missing out on, you know what a good father is supposed to be like. What's interesting it is, it says that uh, reverence for the Lord is pure and lasts forever. And the picture here is one of metal that's pure, and so it doesn't rust. Everything else we can put our trust in rusts. Money, impressive job, people's approval, all that goes away eventually. God does not go away. Then in the second half of that verse, verse 9, it says, the laws of the Lord. And that brings us, it is law here. It's a courtroom picture. And the point is that God never makes a wrong judgment. He never declares something wrong that's actually right or the opposite way around. He never says something's right and it's actually wrong. That brings us back to the character, the heart of God. Is he good and trustworthy? We're all supposed to say yes, but like really, do you believe that for you? Is he good and trustworthy to you? If he is, then yes, we may find some of the things he said at the same time or difficult, but we can also trust that they're good at the same time. It brings us down to the last couple of verses, 10 and 11. Here it says, God's word is more valuable than gold and sweeter than honey. You get the point. I don't need to say anything about that. Look, this thing is more valuable than gold, and I can literally get one for like five bucks online. Or I can just go online for that matter and uh, read it for free all I want. That is an incredible benefit and gift. All these things, everything in here, it both warns and rewards us. It protects us from spiritual harm to ourselves, and it can lead us towards the good. It says, it is a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. Sum this all up. God speaks to his servants through the Bible. Sounds so simple. That is a big deal. God speaks. I use the term servant coming right out of verse 11. And it's an important word because what it captures is, it's not saying God speaks to his kids, although that would be also true, but what I really want us to focus here is obeying or disobeying God, knowing more about the Bible, knowing less about the Bible, any of that does not make God love us any more or less. It doesn't make us saved or not saved, bound for heaven or not. And praise God for that because we could never obey enough to earn his love or eternal life. And that's why Jesus came. 
But if our goal is to serve God as long as we're in this life, then this is going to help us a lot. So the bottom line is read the Bible believing it's good for you because God is good and for you. For you meaning he's on your side. He wants what's best for you. Last couple verses just speak to this inner transformation that we've been talking about this whole psalm building towards. Now I'll just read this, what David says. And David knew about these things. Personally, if you know his story at all, how can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from all these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is intensely personal between us and God if we take these words seriously. It is for the sake of cultivating our relationship with him. Matt put it last week, we have to know Jesus, not just the Jesus we kind of think should be how he is, or the Jesus our culture says, but the Jesus that we find out about in the Bible. That is the core of this, is to know Jesus, know God the Father. It's both knowing Jesus with our minds and loving him with our hearts, which overflows into making choices that please Jesus with our actions. You think about uh, my marriage. It would be so weird if I said, well, I love Julie so much, but I actually don't know anything about her. We've been married nine years. Wait, where did you grow up again, babe? Do you have any siblings? What's your birthday? Uh, like, that would be bizarre, right? <laughs> like, uh, Because I love her and spend time with her and listen to her, I know those things. On the other hand, if I knew all this factual information about Julie, but I didn't actually ever spend any time with her, that wouldn't be loving either, would it? I've never heard a wife say that her ideal ideal marriage is for her man to memorize a lot of trivia about her. And I've never heard Jesus say that his ideal follower would fill their heads with a lot of facts and fancy words about him either. Look at the last verse again. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Imagine that you prayed that with all your heart and God answered it in a straightforward way. Wouldn't that be incredible? Wouldn't that be freeing? I am nowhere close to this. If you give me some open mental space, I'm just maybe driving or something and I've got some time, I'm probably thinking maybe the high end of what I'm likely thinking about is like, I don't know, should the Bears trade away their draft pick or or maybe they should draft a new quarterback and let the other guy go? Or I might just be zoning out with some mind-numbing entertainment. But I'll tell you this, sometimes I feel grumpy and I fill that space with, Uh, how I'd argue with whoever I'm feeling grumpy with or whatever. So best case, left to myself, the meditation of my heart is just kind of meh. And worst case, it's sinful. Now the words in my mouth, maybe I do a little better, it feels like sometimes, until I'm annoyed or hurt or impatient or one of the kids says something or whatever, and then words in my mouth start getting a little grumpy too. So what if we prayed this? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart 
be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And God answered. And we had God-glorifying thoughts and words consistently. Wouldn't that be awesome? Who wouldn't want that? It would be a much more pleasant way for me to live, and it would be a lot more pleasant for everybody else around me. And people would see Jesus in me a lot more. How do we get there? Let me use an analogy with like a car. So the Bible, that's like the steering wheel. It points us in the right direction. You're not pointed the right way. It doesn't matter what else you're doing. A random verse that's disconnected from the rest of the psalm, it's the grand conclusion that the whole thing has been building towards. We fill our minds and hearts with God's truth, and then we get that revived heart and joyful soul and all that. The Holy Spirit says, honor the Holy Spirit right behind me. He's the fuel. He gives us power where we, to get where we need to go. We can have our steering wheel pointed the right direction. doesn't matter if we're out of gas, right? I ran out of gas in Canada once. That was really bad because I was stubborn and prideful. did not matter that I was on the right highway. And if you don't rely on God's Spirit for help, then we don't have the power to make this beautiful life we're talking about just happen. But when we pray, which is how we access the power of the Spirit, that's why it says pray like Jesus, God loves to help us. Which brings us back to 12 and, uh, verses 12 and 13, which are about sin. Uh, he asked him to both get rid of the unknown sins lurking in his heart and the deliberate sins. God, get rid of the sins I know about and get rid of the sins I do. In the car analogy, these are the mechanical problems that are going to prevent you from getting where you're going. The longer you ignore them, the costlier they get. Now, we've got to step out of the car analogy and speak really directly on this because it's important. Getting rid of sin is not a way to earn God's love. God loved us even when we were completely stuck in sin, and Jesus died to set us free. But disobeying God, it's not that it disqualifies you for his love, it's that it will grind you down. It will be the opposite of this revived soul, joy-filled heart that we've been talking about. God's goal is to transform our inner selves and nothing less. If you just had to take one thing away from today in terms of something we do differently, my challenge would be to pray this regularly and sincerely I want us to pray it together right now. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Can I challenge you, pray that multiple times a day for the rest of your life. Okay, let me give just a few uh, closing thoughts about some ways to put this into practice. One, just read the Bible. If you don't know where to start, start in the New Testament. Seriously, just open it. Read a chapter. Overcome those, ah, yeah, but this other thing I got to do type of thoughts. And just please start. And, And before you start to think about what you need to do differently, just let God speak to you about his love, his goodness. Make one single conscious thought of like, wow, what do I see about God here? And you'll be amazed how good he is. And it doesn't have to be something new, like this new insight every time. If every day you read the Bible and all you take away from it is, wow, God loves me, that's a great day. Also, I want to tell you this. I don't have any authority to say this on behalf of Exodus, but just speaking for myself, 
the translation that you will read, understand, and respond to best is the best translation. I have opinions on Bible translations, but that is my most core opinion. Read the Bible, and whatever one empowers you to do it. And by the way, if reading's a little trickier for you, audio Bibles, use them. Make good use of them. Actually, maybe in addition to reading them. Uh, Second thing, use resources. There are some amazing resources that are available for free online. I am really thankful that people have put a ton of time into this stuff, that other people have put their funding into it. I'll just mention two. Uh, The Bible Recap, you can find these easily. I mean, I put the websites there. Uh, The Bible Recap is like walks through literally the entire Bible, uh, like with all these videos or there's a podcast version, whatever, uh, to get you into understanding what the Bible is saying a little bit more. And then the Gospel Coalition is they do conferences, they do all these different things, but a couple things they do that might be relevant for this, they have a commentary, a written out thing that walks you through the Bible. Uh, And then they also have these courses that are on a ton of different topics, but including specific books of the Bible. So if you're like, oh, I want to do a deep dive into Romans, there will be like a video course on that, on that website. And then, of course, there's a bazillion other resources out there. Uh, Talk to Matt. He'll tell you. If you have some question, and seriously, I'd love to help you too. If there's some topic you've been thinking about, if there's a way to, uh, something you need to know more about, uh, something else that'd be helpful for you, we would love to help you uh, and point you in the direction of a book. Uh, Speaking of talking to other people in our church here, third thought, knowing the Bible is a team sport. We all need the insights of others, and we all have insights into what the Bible means. Two things are really important about this. One, if you've been a Christian for five minutes, you have the Holy Spirit. You know that? You have God inside you, and he is helping you to understand what he wrote. If a good friend of yours wrote a book, and you were reading it, and you didn't know what a section meant, you'd just call your friend and ask for help understanding it, right? You have the Holy Spirit of God, so you have something to contribute in these relationships. On the other hand, if you've been a Christian for five decades and you've been studying the Bible the whole time, you don't know 1% of what God would love to show you through that. And there's no shame in that. That's great news. This thing's the mind of God. Of course you don't know very much about it. It's hard enough to know another human being's mind. It's hard enough to know my own mind, right? If If you have a sibling, you know that you can know a ton about a person, and yet there are still ways that they can be a complete mystery to you. And that's a human. God is infinitely bigger. In fact, the more you know about the Bible, the more you know how much more there is to know. You get answers, and you get even more questions, and that's a great thing. Because we're not trying to prove anything here. We're trying to get to know the living God. The main point here is, you read the Bible, ask other people in your life questions about what you're reading. Could just be very factual information. Hey, there's this word justified here. You know what that means? It could be something about, like, maybe you understand the words you're reading, but maybe you're confused, like, well, what do I do with this? Ask a friend. Ask a spouse. Ask somebody you uh, respect here at Exodus. Ask Matt. I think a lot of times people seriously assume pastors are too busy and asking them Bible questions will be a nuisance. I assure you, Matt would love if you sent him a whole email full of questions or you asked him to meet you for coffee and like teach you how to go through a certain part of the Bible, whatever. But I also don't want to leave you with the impression that you need to be talking to quote-unquote experts. 
like a pastor or whoever. Really, the more people you get insight from, the more different kinds of people, the better if they're people who love Jesus and they sincerely want to help you grow. You know the person who's just going to tell you what you want to hear, too. Don't ask. That's the one person not to ask. On the flip side, when someone asks you, you can remember, hey, if I'm a Christian, I got the Holy Spirit of God inside me. And it is absolutely okay to say, I have no idea the answer to your question, if that is genuinely humble. Don't take a random guess uh, because you're embarrassed not to know. But do take a minute. Think about it. Pray and ask God for help. The person asking you is asking you for a reason. That's an incredible sign of trust and respect. And God has put you in that person's life as a friend, as a spouse, as a whatever, for a reason. Um, Fourth thing, respond to what you know. There are so many Bible verses that have talked me back from the brink of saying unwise things, of making unwise decisions. And when you read and understand something, put it into practice. Ask God for help. Ask someone else for help. All over the Bible is the principle that when we respond to God with trusting and obedient hearts, he then gives us more and more insight and softer and more obedient hearts. Finally, remember the good news, the gospel. Jesus loves us and died for us, not because we're good at knowing and obeying the Bible, but because we're bad at it, and he loves us anyway. At the beginning of the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul, he goes on this big old rant for about two chapters. And the main point is, he kind of draws his audience in with saying, hey, people without access to the Bible, they sin a bunch. And just when people who are like self-proclaimed Bible experts are like, yeah, those people do sin a bunch, he's like, yeah, but you got the Bible and you sin a bunch too. So guess what? We all need Jesus. We all need a Savior. And God loves us and he gave us the Savior we need by sending his Son for us. I don't know about you, sometimes I finish a Christian book and I feel really accomplished and really spiritual. Yeah, I just read that 250-page long book. Proud of myself. Sometimes I read it like a page of the Bible and I feel convicted of how unspiritual I am. And so there's something in me that resists reading the Bible. But when I stop and consider, oh yeah, that's right, I am really unspiritual. And guess what? God loves me anyway. That transforms my experience. Because only one person ever understood and obeyed the Bible perfectly. And that was Jesus Christ, who did it so that we could live forever with God by trusting in him. We have a radically different life available to us. One of life, joy, wisdom. And it is ours when we read the Bible and respond to what we read with God's help. But again, there's only one person who has ever perfectly understood and obeyed the Bible, and that is the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And we remember what he did by taking communion together. So uh, if you've been at Exodus before, you know how we do communion here. So Aaron will come up and uh, play a few songs uh, while we do that. And then we just come up, you're going to take a cracker, dip it in some juice, and you're going to remember this is the body of Christ broken for you. This is the blood that made a new covenant, a new way to uh, be reconciled to God because he loved us while we were sinners. Uh, So let me pray, thank him for that, and thank him for his word. God, I thank you so much uh, for uh, having spoken to us. Thank you for explaining your incredible plan of saving 
us uh, through your Son, Jesus Christ. And thank you that, uh, that it's not just information, that you made that plan actually happen. And that is the exact thing that we are remembering this morning. The fact that on uh, in the days that we feel the most spiritual and on the days when we are most deeply aware of your sin, or of our sin, it remains true that Jesus Christ died for us. And so we remember and give you thanks for that uh, this morning. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.